Okay, very exciting. Um, it's, it's really uh, a privilege to talk about uh, getting our hearts excited uh, for this fast, this time of intercession, this pressing into God's heart. So I just want to share a little bit about um, the things that I've studied to uh, help motivate my heart for what's already motivating God's heart, and that is the subject, the people, the nation of Israel. We talked, uh, if you remember, if you were listening when I, or you were here when I was uh, teaching on um, one of the mysteries that Tony's been unfolding, um, the eternal chosenness of, of Israel, we, there's going to be some overlap in some of those things, obviously, and as Aaron is absolutely correct, once you start to see this and, and uncover it, you'll see that it's all through the scripture, and it's necessary that it's all through the scripture, but the question of why Israel, at the very core of it, it's because God loved Israel, and we see that in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 through 7. You can go there on your own, but you know we unpack that a little bit. God looks at Israel as his beloved possession. It says that he set his love on Israel, that there was really no other reason. It wasn't that they were a great nation. It wasn't that they had everything figured out. Uh, he set his love on this nation, and he was keeping his oath and his promise that he had made to the forefathers, Abraham, and, and on and on and on. And so his promises are forever for Israel. And this is powerful and this is important once we start to understand that. And it's going to help us fuel our prayer and get us motivated to do uh, this time of fasting and intercession. Again, I, wanna, I just want to read it. Um, Isaiah 62, 6 through 7, the rally uh, scripture for this, prophetic uh, call and mandate for this. Um, verse 6 from Isaiah 62. On your walls, O Jerusalem... I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves, and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Lord, we do ask you right now for your heart. Lord, we ask that you would give us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us to get into um, the issues, uh, the important matters that you want us to cover to help build a framework in our lives, Lord so that we can pursue you in this, so that we can intercede and press into your heart in a powerful way, Lord, in this, this truly unprecedented time. Lord, we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you guide us, that you open us up to new things. We thank you for this partnership, that we are actually alive during this time to enter in to such an incredible time, Lord, an appointed time. We agree with that. We look to it, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Remember, too, uh, we, we were unpacking Romans chapter 11, and we were looking in Romans eleven twenty nine 29, that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, specifically in context to Israel. Uh, Paul was letting them know that God's not finished with Israel. He hasn't replaced Israel with the new Gentile population that was now coming in. All of that was God's divine hand and, and his purposes for the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom to be able to come in and for the, for the final uh, second coming of Jesus, his setting up his kingdom on earth, all of this has a part to play. And today, here we are talking about that topic, getting into it. 
and then, and then jumping on board with the Lord and saying, Lord, help us be a part of this. Whether it's in our day and age or if there's still some time, which I know most of us here probably feel it's, it's much sooner uh, than, you know, than we ever thought before. So the backdrop that I want to give you, I want to give you a little bit of a cultural, political backdrop just to kind of help. Um, it's really interesting the time that Israel is in right now. And they have had, the last month of April has been very difficult for Israel. They've had rocket um, attacks, very intense rocket attacks. That's nothing new. We know that. But it's interesting that that's picked up. They've also had terrorist attacks. Again, nothing new. But it is interesting to note that on their day of remembrance, it's a day for them before their Independence Day, the day right before April 24th, Independence Day being April 25th for them. And on that day, they had a pretty bad terrorist attack. That day of remembrance is when they remember the fallen who have uh, served and given their lives to protect Israel. And so they had a pretty bad terrorist attack. Um, also, if, if you haven't been paying attention, for the last 17 weeks, there has been a lot of unrest um, in the streets of Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, hundreds of thousands protesting either for or against what Bibi Netanyahu's um, government is doing to reform the judicial system. And I don't want to spend a lot of time there. When I, when I uh, was studying at Tel Aviv University, I had to take an Israel government class, and I wish I could tell you that I understood it completely, but I was already dealing with the language barrier. It was in Hebrew, and their government is just straight kind of, it's, it's crazy the way it's set up. Parliamentary government. They don't have a constitution, and so um, the way they do things, the way that's been happening, and again, we, I, I want to say this because it's really important. As we start to pray into this, we need to pray according to the scriptures. We don't want to get sidetracked with political prayers, all these kinds of things, because it's so complex. You could talk... Let's take even just the body of Christ, the body of Jesus of Messiah, the Messianic believers in Israel, they have differing viewpoints on this current situation that Israel's in. And the news, 80% of the media in Israel is on one side of this issue, and they're the ones pumping out what the world should think about the current situation, that it's it's fascist, it's dictor, you know, dictatorial and all that, and, and that they're setting up a regime to take away religious freedoms and all this. And again, there's some, some truth to all those little issues, but it's very complex, and we need to be careful that we pray for peace and grace and not get into the issues, because it's very complex. And I think that's important to understand. But just so that you know, a lot of that is happening now because people feel their freedoms are being taken away because they're reforming the, the Supreme uh, Court, because the Supreme Court has been able to overrule the legislature uh, for the last 30 years, and they've overturned a lot of things that a lot of, you know, and, and there's really, like, left and right, it's hard to say that with Israel. There's, like, right-ish, there's left, there's center of left, um, all those kinds of things like you would expect, um, conservative, and so there's a lot of viewpoints on both of these sides that, a lot of the rulings they've been making have um, hurt Israel and, and taken away uh, some of their freedoms with laws uh, and, and have been mostly socialist and different things like that. So it's interesting. You could take more time on that, but I say that because that's happening, okay? We want to keep our focus, though. We don't want to get lost with that. And in the midst of that great upheaval just the other day, they had something like 200,000 in Jerusalem protesting. So they're in the streets doing this. And yes, some of the Messianic leaders there say that a lot of this is paid, 
protesting. Sounds familiar, right? There's foreign money into these protests, which is interesting. And they are trying to overturn the last election. Sounds familiar, right? Seems like the spirit of the Antichrist is working in the world right now. So again, a lot of stuff swirling around. It's an interesting time. So in the midst of that also, they're coming out of and continuing into three holy days, spring holy days. We know Passover just occurred. Um, but also right after Passover, they had um, the uh, Feast of Omer, um, Sifrat HaOmer in Hebrew. What does that mean? It's a sheaf, and it means the counting of the sheaf, sheaf singular. This is very interesting because as believers, the Christians believe the sheaf was Jesus. He was the early, so it's, there's two first fruit holidays that they have. There's the early first fruit, which is Omer, and then there is the latter first fruit, which is the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot, or Pentecost in Greek. We know that one, right? Fifty days between these two. The Omer, the counting of the sheaf, they would count 50 days onto Pentecost. And they believed Jesus was at Omer, the first fruit. And it was a barley. Um, it, was, it, was, it was barley that they were uh, waving un, uh, unto the Lord. And so that just happened, which is interesting. And now we're in this countdown to, to Shavuot, uh, which is coming up the Feast of Weeks, which this uh, fast will end on that as we know, is Pentecost. So we're in a countdown. So spiritually, we're in a very important time. If you are looking at the appointed times in Israel and the feasts and the different things that are going on, we can look at this as Jesus' death, his resurrection, and of course, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So interesting backdrop for Israel at this time. But let's talk about, uh, let's get into more of the mandate uh, to pray, to help us focus and to help us understand so Isaiah 62, 6 through 7, we read that. We see on your walls, O Jerusalem, the Lord is appointing watchmen day and night. They will never keep silence. And we believe that the Lord is opening that invitation to all of the church across the globe. And that's what we're entering into. Also Psalm 122, verse 6 through 9, we also know this one well. Uh, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. So that's another beautiful verse that we can open when we're starting to pray. We're praying. That's what I was saying. We're praying for peace. Let's not get sidetracked with all the politics and different things going on. Let's just pray for God's peace to invade all of that situation. Um, so why we see mentioned in Isaiah 62, 6 through 7, it's not just Israel, it's, it's Jerusalem uh, specifically. So we say why Israel, but we also have to say why Jerusalem, why Zion, why is that so important? Well, God loves Jerusalem. Just like I said, God loves Israel. Jesus loves Jerusalem with great zeal. We look at uh, Zechariah 8, verse 2 through 3, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly zealous Jealous, I'm sorry, for Zion. Yes, with great wrath I am jealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. The mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. So it's a place that Jesus is going to dwell, that Jesus loves very much. 
It's referred in Psalm 48 as the city of the great king, and Jesus himself quoted this in Matthew 5. We also know that it's, though we are talking about the earthly Jerusalem, there is a new Jerusalem. It says, the bride, the wife of the lamb that will be given to Jesus. So there are, and, and Tony has taught on this uh, before, but there are uh, such incredible parallels, if, if you'll call them that, but it's all so connected, it, it's hard to even call it parallel. But we are the bride of Christ. We are connected with the new Jerusalem. And so the heart of the king is in that city for sure. And so when we look during this fast, we, we, we focus on Jerusalem as a central point of what God wants to do. Strategically, it makes sense. It's the capital. And why would there be so much conflict over making this a capital in the nations? There's no question, because it's the city of the great king. So if they could prevent Jerusalem from being the capital of the nation, that's God's nation, then you can see how the plan of the enemy, what they're trying to do to slow it down. But we know that God is in control, and that's why we're jumping into this thing. Also, the thing to think about um, so, so Jerusalem has its place. We're going to focus on that. We're going to focus on the salvation of Israel. But let's talk about our partnership with God as the church to provoke Israel to jealousy and to pray for her salvation. We also covered this when, we, when I taught last time in, um, in Romans chapter 11. Verse 11 talks about provoking Israel to jealousy through what God is doing with the Gentiles to bring them in for salvation. Also, um, we're talking about praying for the salvation of, is of Israel because we know all Israel will be saved. That's really, really important. And that God, it, it hinges on that. Israel coming to know the Lord is what ignites the sequence for the second coming of the Lord. It's crucial. It's really important. While we are moving into intercession, let's look at this example from Daniel. To get the heart that to get our hearts on fire as we move into intercession. Peter viewed it this way in 2 Peter 3, 11 through 12. Um, actually, let's, let's go there real quick because I love this. But he says what kind of people, do, you know, are we to be? And we know this one in um, 2 Peter 3, 11, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. So as we move into this, let's have that heart looking for the coming of the Lord, hastening what God is doing to loose it and release it on this earth. And much like um, Daniel, uh, we, we want to have a heart that doesn't just observe the things that are happening the things that are taking place, the things that we know are going to take place. But we want to partner with the Lord to release kingdom purposes in the earth and especially in Israel before his second coming. Daniel is reading the writings of Jeremiah. He knew the 70-year exile was coming to an end, and he knew the Jews would return to Israel. He didn't sit by, watch it unfold, and say, great, this is all going to happen. I guess I can just kind of watch it and observe. That wasn't the heart of Daniel, though he knew it was going to happen. He took the prophecy of Jeremiah as a mandate to pray and intercede. Daniel 9, 2 through 3. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books 
the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So prophecy can and should be used as a motivation to intercede and partner with God in biblical events, in end-time events that we're seeing unfold. So we're not just observing during this time. We're being watchful, but now we're participating in God releasing these things through our intercessory prayer, through Church on the Rock, right here through 21 days, jumping on board with this thing, with the Isaiah 62 fast. It's easy to look at that and say, oh, it's just, it's just kind of a global um, unified effort to pray for Israel. It's more than that. As, as Pastor Tony even said, when has this happened? When can we look back in our history and say that this has ever happened? We really should take, um, take uh, care to see this for what it really is, that the Lord is releasing something here, and not just to watch it unfold, but to actually participate in it unfolding, to contend for Jerusalem the way Daniel contended in his fast so that the Lord would release his promises. We want Israel to reach the fullness of all that God has for her as a nation. It's part of our destiny. It's part of the love that we have for Jesus to return. All of that is connected very deeply. We see Jesus um, set things up when he is in his final days, uh, getting ready to go to the cross, and he's in Jerusalem. In Matthew 23, 37 through 39, this, you'll see this a lot throughout the theme of this. He calls out specifically to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stone those, who stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's quoting from Psalm 118, verse 26. And what's interesting is he's, seeing, he's saying, I will not be coming back until you in Jerusalem come together and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I believe that's the great revival that's still to take place in Jerusalem. I believe that what happened in the book of Acts at Pentecost was just a little kind of foreshadowing and beginning of that. And there will be another great outpouring in Jerusalem that will flood the streets even more so than what's happening now with the protests and the different things going on with the current climate. The streets will be filled with this cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But Jesus left Jerusalem desolate until then. There's a reason why. And that is because of the partial hardening that had to happen to Israel in order for us, the Gentiles, to come into the family of God. I love how it's said here in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 19, verse 37. 
As soon as he was approaching, he being Jesus, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Because they knew what was going on. They knew the prophecy from, from Psalm 118. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw this city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. So Jesus is saying right there, it's starting, the blessed is he, it's starting, but it's, it's so small, beautiful as it was, it's not going to be what we're going to see, I believe, in our day and age, but it was starting when he was there, right in the streets of Jerusalem. The unbelief of the religious leadership there wanted to stop it, squash it, keep it from happening. Jesus needed all of Jerusalem, the, the house. It says the house of the Lord in Psalm 118 and also Psalm 122. We read that. It refers to Jerusalem as the house of the Lord. And I believe that's talking about governmental leadership, religious leadership from the unbelieving uh, Jewish community and even the Messianic believing community, from the government leaders, uh, the coalition government, and everything that's going on. The whole house will have to say this. And when they say it, it's not that they're saying it begrudgingly. They're saying it out of praise and worship the way his disciples were starting to all that time ago in Jerusalem. It was starting to spontaneously explode as worship as Jesus was in Jerusalem because they knew it's the city of the great king and they knew he was the Messiah. But then Jesus said, not all of your hearts are into this now, so you, therefore, are going to miss this day that has been prepared for you. It will be hidden from you. And because it was hidden from them, had they all together jumped on board with that messianic declaration, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, then that would have been it, right? Wrap it up. But we know that it couldn't be that that way. Jesus had to go to the cross. He had to finish and complete the, the will of the Father. Therefore, they had to be hardened. But here's the thing. Paul says, them being hardened, hardened and them being blind was riches for the Gentiles, was salvation for us, for those that were not part of the family of God. We now were able to enter in to this promise as children, as adopted sons and daughters of the living God, we now have a part to play. But not only that, we now, at that full circle, the end of it, are part of the process to bring Jesus back. The one saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, so that Jerusalem will say that in the very near future. Our intercession, our prayer that we're going to do right now, all of that counts. We all know it all goes up into a bowl in the book of Revelation. It talks about the prayers of the saints, the incense that rises, fills the bowls, right? And then that starts to, what? It starts to set things in place and into motion. So this time, us taking 
This time of intercession is powerful. It has meaning. It has purpose. However we decide to do it. However much we can pour ourselves into it. I would say let's grab hold of it. Let's get radical in this 21 days. Because if it really is part of what we're talking about, we want to be able to look back and say, do you remember when we partnered with the Spirit of God in the earth to bring about the coming, the second coming of Jesus, because we prayed for his people and the blinders fell off their eyes. They were able to see the king and they were able to bless him from Jerusalem. That's what we're doing here. Even the little that we're doing here. So the rejection was partial. Remember we talked about last time, it's not God rejecting Israel. We see what happened here in Luke and in Matthew. It's Israel rejecting Jesus. It's Jerusalem rejecting Jesus. And therefore, he said, I'm not going to force myself on you. You will come to fall in love with me. You will come to worship me. It may be a long process of hardship, of trial and tribulation, but you will come to the place where you fall in love with me as your king. You will be crying out in the streets for me to come back. You won't be protesting about judicial reform. You will be filling the streets, crying for the Messiah. I believe we will see another Pentecost happen in Jerusalem. Physically in Jerusalem, we will see another Pentecost, and it will be connected with power across the globe with revival we have never seen. When it starts to erupt in Jerusalem, yes, amen, it will set on fire when Jesus said, oh, how I wish, I come to bring fire on the earth, but oh, how I wish it were already kindled. And he told us that he would baptize us with fire. This is the baptism that is coming, and we see this in Joel. We can look to the book of Joel. We know that what, we know Peter did that when he was preaching at Pentecost. But what Peter and, and the apostles and the disciples were experiencing, as important and crucial as it was, it was only the very beginning, just like we talked about the Omer, waving the, the sheaf. Jesus is the first fruit. Fifty days later, you had Pentecost. You had the early, you had the early first fruit of Jesus, then you had the latter first fruits of the disciples coming in to the baptism of the Holy Spirit 50 days later. And I believe they knew that, by the way. I believe they knew that countdown. Because in their culture, they, they already knew that as a countdown, that holy day. I believe they knew Pentecost was coming. And I know sometimes it's thought they were just waiting and waiting. I, I believe that they knew. How could you not? How could you know Jesus is the first fruit and you know you have 50 days? He says, wait in Jerusalem, pray fast, like Joel says. I think they expected something to happen on Pentecost, to be honest with you. And I think we can jump into expecting God to do something in this day and age. Yeah. Do I think it will happen this Pentecost? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying this is a really amazing time, isn't it? We are in a countdown. This whole fast is a countdown. How amazing that that is. And it's not just the idea of one man. This is something that God has birthed. He's using big names to do it. But there are so many people getting on board because it's not a one-person thing. The Holy Spirit is moving this. The Holy Spirit is revving this engine. So if anything, I think it will begin to start a process 
that we'll be able to look back on one day and, and say, do you remember when it started in 2023? And it's after that year, more of the Holy Spirit kept being released over and over, over and over. A lot, of, a lot still has to take place, but I believe this would be a very important time. And I'm hoping we, we're shocked and surprised at the end of it, that we see the power of God move in such a radical way and continue to build until Jesus returns, until Israel is saved. So um, the Lord is going to pour out a spirit on Jerusalem specifically, and that's part of the process of making it a praise in all the earth. Because praise will be erupting and exploding from that city, and it will be impossible to ignore it. If it's a praise in all the earth, it doesn't necessarily mean everyone's in alignment and agreement with what's happening. It means everyone knows it's happening. There will be no doubt or question. Even, even those that are against it will know something is happening in Jerusalem. That's happening very soon. That's going to happen. The interesting thing is in the first Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the believers were all in one accord. And look at this. We're talking about potentially 100 million believers praying in one accord with Israel for her destiny. And there are believers in that land who are praying for this. So as we get into this fast, that needs to be another focus. Unity. Unity of the faith. Persevering in this call to lay aside some things in our lives and to go after this as, as much as you feel liberty to go after it. Seize it this time of prayer and intercession so that we can move God's heart into doing the things that he's already going to do. Let's look at um, Joel 2. Talking about um, the next outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is going to be the fulfillment of Joel 2. So, um, In Joel chapter 2, first, I want to read verse 13 through 17, which is really cool in light of what we're talking about. Um, actually, verse 12. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, verse 13, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering from the Lord your God. Blow a trumpet in Zion. It's interesting that Zion means parched or dry place. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, where is their God? Why should Jerusalem be desolate? Even Jesus said they were being left desolate. But here's this call, the rally call to intercede, to fast, to pray like never before. It's interesting that in Isaiah 62, if we go to the verses before the one that we're using, um, which really, it's really the whole chapter. But if we go to verse 1, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 5. But listen to this. For Zion's sake, 
I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. Why does the Lord love Jerusalem? He sees him as a crown of beauty. And a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said to you forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said desolate. Well, who said it was desolate? Interesting, right? Jesus said, you're being left desolate. But Jesus is saying here, you no longer will be desolate. But you will be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. God's heart is fully wrapped up into this with Jerusalem. He's going to see it through, and he's going to use us to do it. Let's go, let's shift back again to uh, Joel to continue where we were going with that. Jump to verse 28 of chapter 2. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then some pretty heavy stuff starts to happen in verse 30. And you can read on some significant signs and celestial events that lead us into the day of the Lord start happening. So has this happened yet? No, this kind of outpouring has not happened yet. We've seen pockets of it. We've experienced revivals. This area is rich in experiencing revival, but there is something coming that's so far off the charts of what we've ever known, it will make even Pentecost in Jerusalem back in the early century church. It will make it look like just another small revival that happened in church history. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. That's what it's going to be like. Pentecost across the whole globe, an outpouring of the power of God and Jerusalem being the crown of it. Jerusalem being the diadem, the married one of the Lord. This is what we're praying for. This is what we're looking for. This is how we're engaging our hearts into this process. And it's in one accord. It's all connected with the purposes, plans of God. It's also the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37. Some people think, especially secular people think, that the dry bones uh, vision that Ezekiel saw was mostly about regathering the Jews that had been scattered all over the world, regathering them into their country in 1948. That was such a small, natural, national revival compared to what Ezekiel 37 is talking about. Ezekiel 37 is talking about an end-time, spirit-filled army coming out of Israel. If you read it, if you... If you look at, at, at the verse there in, in Ezekiel, if, if I can read that for you real quick and turn to that. Um, Ezekiel 37, and I, I shared a little bit about this last time, but I just want to read this, this verse into it. 
So, verse 14 of chapter 37. So much in there. It's so powerful. Go back and read that during this fast as well. Um, and watch what the Lord does with the people of Israel. But he says, verse 13, Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life. And I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. What does it mean for the Lord to put his spirit in them? Other than to revive them through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're praying for, and this is what we're focusing for. And this unprecedented event is an opportunity that we can all enter into to hasten God's plans for the salvation of Israel. And so I, I want to encourage us as we do this. This is probably one, this, you know, this church knows so much of this already. There's a, a long history here of this church loving Israel, teaching on Israel, understanding God's purposes. So not to compare, but I feel like this church has pioneered already in many ways. And we can enter into this in a new season for this church to unlock some powerful things in our midst. Because this church, your hearts, you've been sowing this for a while. You've been sowing into these things anyways. So there's going to be a degree of authority that this fellowship, this body will operate in during this fast that will be beautiful and powerful to watch. And that's my prayer, that we, we can release that together. We can experience the fruit of that, and we can move into something new in the Lord as we do this fast together. So let's pray. If, if the uh, worship team could come up. Let's pray and ask the Lord. When we say one accord, what does that look like for all of us to all be part of this? We know it's there. We know it's Bible. It's not a side topic. We talked about that. Remember, Israel is not a chess piece in eschatology. It's not a chess piece in the last day movement of things. It's God's obsession. He is jealous for Jerusalem. We want to have that burning heart because it's all a reflection for his love for us. This is who he is. The complete picture is just a beautiful completion of God's purposes and promises for all of us that we're all a part of that. It's, we're all included in that. And so Let's ask the Lord, take a few moments right now as the worship team starts to, to play and minister and, and move into that time. Let's, in our place, in our way, let's ask the Lord what, what my part is during this time. How do you want me to get on board, Lord, because you've called watchmen? I want to be one of those watchmen. It's something I've desired for a long part of my life. When we first went to Israel, it was Laura, myself, Ezra, and Avner, and we had a bookmarker that we gave to all of our friends and family that were supporting us. This was back in 2006, and on that bookmarker was a little picture of little Ezra was, was he two years old, overlooking on one of the walls in Jerusalem overlooking the, the city, and, uh, and it had that verse, Isaiah 62, 6 through 7, I've appointed watchmen. And the visual was Ezra was a little watchman on the wall. But that's what I want to be, like a childlike faith, a watchman on the wall for the Lord during this time. 
I hope that's your heart. I hope that's all of our heart that we do that together to pray. We have so many resources. We have amazing leadership here to foster it, to create prayer opportunities. Let's give it so much of our heart to enter into this. So pray with me right now. As we sit where we're at, you can stand, you can kneel, you can come forward, however you feel. But let's all ask in our heart, Lord, Father, what would you have us give during this time? How would you have us participate? Lord, we don't want to be observers. We don't want to be on the sidelines. We don't want to sit on the bench because you've invited us to be part of it. It's an invitation to join in incredible events that are about to unfold on this earth, culminating in the salvation of Israel, Jerusalem becoming a praise in all the earth, and Jesus, your glorious returning. We want to be part of that. Even if it's years off, we know that what we do now is part of that process. So God, how would you have us as sons and daughters, as the people here at Church on the Rock, how would you have us invest our hearts and our time and our energy and our, our finances and our schedules and our diets? How would you have us invest that during this fast? Holy Spirit, show that to us right now. showing you stuff right now. I encourage you to write it down. Mark it in your phone. Holy Spirit, reveal to us your heart for this fast. in whatever way the Lord has spoken to you and will continue to speak to us. Keep that close to your heart. Write it down, whatever. Put it in, in your, your journals, your, your Bible with this uh, prayer guide. Let's keep it close. Let's begin to mark the things that we feel the Lord is showing us. And look back and see the history that God forms in us, even here, directly, what God does. What He will unlock. I believe He's going to unlock a lot of things. So, Lord, I thank you for marking each and every one of us in your unique way that you mark us with the heart for this. That you, through revelation, show us your heart in the scriptures. Show us your heart through our, 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 our lives before you, through prayer, through worship. Unlock more and release it and equip and empower us to truly be intercessors and watchmen on the wall. I thank you for doing that.